Today we'll be discussing the career of actor Ashton Kutcher, and we'll be discussing his diagnosis of vasculitis. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy to entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing the life and career of actor Ashton Kutcher, and we'll be discussing the disease he suffers from, vasculitis. Ali, I thought for the vasculitis point of view, we'll uh, do a little House. Remember House, the TV show House with Hugh Laurie? Your favorite? Right, where it's kind of a medical mystery. So we're going to approach Ashton's case as a bit of a medical mystery. Okay, so Ali, the other big celebrity that was in the news over the past few weeks is Ashton Kutcher, and he talked about this diagnosis of vasculitis. So we'll get into that in the second half, but let's talk about Ashton. We can each, this has kind of been our MO over the past few episodes when we talk about a celebrity. We each kind of just pick a few interesting things about their life. We don't necessarily go in chronologic order. So maybe I'll just start off with Ashton. He is 44, by the way. I'm like, what? He still seems like he's like in his 20s on that 70s show. Dude, this guy is like 35 for the rest of my life. I don't understand how he's 44. We were watching him on that 70s show, and he seemed decades, plural decades, younger than us then. How was he almost yeah, our age? It's crazy. It's nuts. He was born in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and kind of a working class family. He had an older sister, and I didn't know this. He had a fraternal twin brother who actually had a heart transplant due to what's called cardiomyopathy. Again, we could do a whole episode on that, which is kind of enlargement of your heart. And he also had cerebral palsy, which I did not know. And so his brother has become a spokesperson for various organizations. Now, when you say had, you always have Correct. cerebral Actually, palsy. It really doesn't go point. away, right? We should do okay. an episode on that as well. It is a chronic condition, so you always have that. What I don't know is sometimes if you have heart surgery, a uh, heart problem, at any point in that, whether it's during the surgery or before or afterwards, you could have a lack of blood flow to the brain because if the heart's not pumping properly, you can get some brain injury. So the cerebral palsy results from the heart issues, or was it just, you know, there's two things that happened in the same. I have been working this past week, as it turns out, with somebody, an actor who has cerebral palsy, if we ever want to guest on the show. He wrote a show called Lazy Legs that'll be on uh, CBC Gem probably next season in the winter. This is his baby for the last five years, and he wrote himself, and he's the lead, and uh yeah, he has cerebral palsy, and I've been yep, talking with him for the last three days. Oh, awesome. all day yeah, long. for sure. Very, Mention very it to him, yeah. and we should definitely have him on because it's a great topic and one that obviously I see a lot from work. Getting back to Ashton, he was going to do engineering at the University of Iowa, and basically he was approached by a model scout for some bar in Iowa City, and then entered a modeling competition, which he won first place in, and then got to go to a modeling convention. And then I guess with all that, you know, you're a good looking young man, moved to LA to pursue acting. Got a good high cheekbones. That's right. So what was your first exposure to Ashton? Well, it was that 70s show. 
you suggested this to me in the past, Asif. His non-acting life might be more interesting than his acting life. But we were introduced to him as Michael Kelso on that 70s show, right? As was the world, I believe. I, I think that was his breakout role. Or, you know, if it wasn't his first role, it was definitely the breakout role. And then I really thought he was perfect for punked. He hosted MTV's Punked for a few years, and he became that guy people would be like, you know, you're at the bank and some teller is like, actually, there's no money in this account. And you're just like, is Ashton Kutcher about to come out of the back? Is he going to walk out of the vault? He became synonymous with any time something felt like you were being pranked or something was ridiculous. And I just feel like his face and his vibe and his energy were so perfect for punk. I don't know how you feel about that, but I really felt like he's a great prankster, but also, you know, there's a type of prankster. I know because I grew up with one. One of my buddies from elementary school, when they play a prank, you want to punch them in the face because they just have this like horrible laugh that just looks mean and maniacal and unsettling. And he just, I don't know, he wasn't that guy at all. He was like, uh, just so I think it helped that with the good natured aspect of him. I thought it was interesting at the end of every episode. People would be like, oh, Ashton. And it would be stars that were clearly more famous than Ashton Kutcher, but giving a hug. And like, I'm like, oh, I thought it was actually doing a lot for his kind of street cred in, you know, the Hollywood circles. So, yeah, I, I thought it was good. I think it did kind of pigeonhole him. I don't think anybody watched Punked and he's like, oh, this guy is going to be a really, you know, amazing actor and win Academy Awards and things like that. But I'm not sure that was actually his goal in all this. And we'll get into that in a second. Certainly doesn't seem like it. Yeah. I do want to talk about some of his stuff outside of work because, as you said, like his acting work, because, as you said, that's actually more interesting. Actually, I didn't say it. You said it previously and i was reminding you that you said this to me and truer words have not ever been spoken if you only know ashton kutcher by the way my biggest struggle with this guy for a long time was uh, pronouncing his name i was always putting an n or two somewhere where it didn't belong but anyway ashton ashton you thought his name was ashton no anston or a uh, kunchner oh boy or kutchner kutchner i thought it was kutchner that's what it was i thought it was ashton kutchner and then I would have to be corrected all the time. Anyway, I know there's other Kutchner people out there, so I say it for all of you. Doesn't it feel like it should be N-E-R? Doesn't matter. Yeah, he's got a crazy life that's much more significant outside of uh, that 70s show. If you only know him from his acting, I would go on to say you don't really know this totally. guy at all. And you might think, oh, you're talking about his marriages to Demi Moore and then now Mila Kunis, who's he's been married to for a couple of years. I always get her last name wrong. I want to call her Kulis, but that's not her name. It's Kunis. And, you know, of course, he was in the news a lot. You know, Demi Moore divorced from uh, Bruce Willis and then got together with Ashton Kutcher. And there's all those weird photos of, like, all the family members together with, like, the little kids and the older kids and Bruce well, Willis. Well, that was the weird you know. part. Like, we thought Ashton Kutcher was younger than Demi Moore's oldest kids, right? That was the part. But it, he actually just – very youthful dude. That's pretty much what exactly. We're That's what we're saying. Yeah. And now happily married to Mila Kunis. They have two kids. But I didn't know about this till I started doing some research on him. There was a crazy incident that happened to him in 2001. He was dating, I think, an actress named Ashley Ellerin to very early in his acting career, and she was murdered. And Kutcher was never a suspect, but it was eventually kind of found that. She was killed by this serial killer named Michael Gargiulio. And 
Ashton Kutcher had to testify at the trial. And, you know, he arrived at his girlfriend's house to pick her up that night, rang the doorbell. She never answered and then eventually helped to establish the time of her death. And yeah, she never answered because she had already been murdered just in the hours before he went to pick her up. Insane. Let me just say this. Not the television director and not his son, the uh, the journalist slash anchor. This is a different guy who really – his only thing that he really focused on was murder, apparently. It's an awful, awful story, and I will not make light of it because uh, if you read any of the details, it was crazy. But it was only – he was only sentenced to death in 2021. This is a snail's pace this legal system's working at. Anyway, yeah, as you said, it was 2001 when Ashton Kutcher had that. So that was one yeah. interesting and again outside of his acting that I learned about during this research. Yeah, that he had a girlfriend who was viciously murdered. That is interesting. I found far more interesting was this guy's like investments, like his moves in. Like we all know people who we, actors have a lot of money they invested. This guy was hired as a product engineer for Lenovo. Yeah, you know Lenovo. Company, you ever yeah. seen them yeah, laptops? Yeah. yeah, laptops and I'm sure mainframes as well. Anyway, he was part. He was hired as a, a product engineer for that company. That was in 2013, and then he was part of the management team for another tech startup called Uma. Like, it's just so funny how. We all forget that somebody's playing a character. And he really just, I think, Pothead Ashton. I don't remember his name in that Kelso, show. Kelso. Pothead Ashton Kelso. I think Kelso just got in our head. Michael Kelso, exactly. Michael Kelso got in our head and fooled us all, which maybe means he's a fantastic actor. It's a good point. I didn't see him on some of his other shows. He replaced Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men. I mean- my parents watched Two and a Half Men. I never, I don't think I've seen, maybe I've seen one episode of that show. I didn't see it with Ashton was on, but he got paid a lot of money for that apparently. And then he was on a Netflix show, which I didn't watch. It was called like The Reservation or The Ranch or something like that. It's like Sam Elliott was his dad and Danny Masterson was his brother or something like that. But Danny Masterson, again, I mean, turns out to be a total creep loser. And he's from that 70s show yeah, exactly, as well? Is exactly. That who that so they're is? Yeah, okay. friends on that. He's had some business ventures with Masterson and Wilder Valderrama, also from that 70s show. They've had, some, I think, some restaurants and things like that. But, you know, I agree with you, Ali. I didn't really know about all this stuff. I remember he – I watched Shark Tank quite a bit several years ago. I was into that show in Dragon's Den. I watched them every week. And he was on a season of Shark Tank in, I think, starting September 2015 – and he was like a guest shark. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? Ashton Kutcher, celebrity. What does he know about investments? And you know, he's trying to talk, you know, at the same level as say Kevin O'Leary and, and the rest of them. Like, I don't know, whatever. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh my God. He has invested in several high tech startups. He's invested in five startups. They are Neighborly, Zenreach, ResearchGate, Copara Beauty, and Lemonade. Lemonade is not the album by Beyonce. And out of all of these, I'm like, ResearchGate? ResearchGate is basically, it's like a social media for scientists and researchers. So you can connect with people to get a copy of their article. You can collaborate with them. You can post your articles on there and people can comment. So you use it. Yeah. It's where yeah. nerds like yeah. you go. Yeah, oh, totally okay. I have a research gate. I'm like um, profile. I'm like, what? Well, it's crazy. I can't believe he's involved in that. So, you know, he's clearly very selective in this. And then he also co-founded a venture capital firm called A-Grade Investments. 
And in 2016, Forbes valued the firm's holdings at $236 million. I mean, not bad for a ding-dong from Iowa City. You know what I mean? This is pretty impressive. Now, I'm glad you mentioned impressive things because uh, we're going to end on something less than impressive. In the year 2012, in the year of our Lord 2012, I was most baffled by this particular thing involving Ashton Kutcher. You know, previously, the biggest struggle was the N that did not exist in his name. This was insane to me. And pretty, like, unsettling, you know, if, and maybe disturbing is too far, but really unsettling from a variety of perspectives. Look up Pop Chips Ashton Kutcher if you don't know what I'm talking about. It was a campaign for chips, Pop Chips, you know, glorified Pringles, basically. And the ad campaign featured Ashton Kutcher as an Indian man named Raj, not Raj, as Asif pronounces it, Raj. And he's like in this dating, you know, it's it's like his dating profile. He's looking for love and already it wasn't a great commercial. But Ashton Kutcher has brown face on. He's got brown makeup on and he's using an Indian accent. And I just, I could not. Okay, listen, Pop Chips or whoever their parent company, first of all, okay, they have to hire an ad company. And then they have to bring on Ashton. There's a lot of levels, okay? There's legal. Right. There's you didn't just come up with this at his house and post it on YouTube. No, exactly. He wasn't high and him and Danny Masterson, like, what if we did this, bro? This is like senior level executives in an ad firm at Pop Chips, at Pop Chips parent company, all different level of execs all have to agree. I can't believe you could find three people who would agree that this is a good idea in 2012. You have found several people, Ashton Kutcher included, who thought this was a good idea. Imagine you taped your eyes down on the sides. You started talking in some kind of a Chinese accent to promote some product that has nothing to do with China or the accent or anything. It's like ridiculous. I still can't believe that happened. And I think I needed a healthy break from Ashton Kutcher. Now, I hate to say this before we we're talking about something that was really bad for his health, but I will say that was a huge miss, and I'm surprised there's not a documentary out there. Uh, in the spirit of our, you know, we did a whole documentary about Harry Kondabolu's, the, oh God, what is it called? Searching for Apu? No, I'm mixing up two different- The doc- problem with Apu. The problem with We didn't do a Apu. documentary. We did an episode, but he, Harry Kondabolu, did a documentary. We did an episode on the documentary, yeah, talking about this whole brown face idea and everything involved with it. So anyway, it harks back to one of our earlier episodes, if you're interested in hearing about that. Asif and I both have some things to say about that, but th- this is 2012. This isn't, I mean, this is just a decade ago and that it passed so many levels of approval. I still can't believe it. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's Ashton Kutcher. I think it's a bit eye-opening in terms of <laughs> well, that was very eye-opening, the Pop Chips commercial, and we're linked to that as well. You guys can take a look at it and judge for yourself. But I think a lot of this stuff outside is very interesting. He's also done a lot of work with charitable causes, him and his wife. A lot of charity Yeah, work. did a, a lot, lot of, of stuff work. to help with refugees fleeing violence in the Ukraine. And I think they raised about $3 million to help house some of these people as they were trying to escape Ukraine. Uh, and his wife, Mila Kunis, is from Ukraine originally. So definitely done a lot of stuff, done stuff to help prevent the sexual exploitation of children and the proliferation of child pornography on a global scale. He set up some organizations with Demi Moore about that. So, you know, he is a businessman, a philanthropist, in addition to being an actor. 
and someone who has questionable choices in commercials. Yeah, well, one questionable choice anyway. Also, this was an interesting fact about him. His major that he planned to do, biochemical engineering at the University of Iowa, he had enrolled in that. And what do you think motivated his desire to go into biochemical engineering, Asif? Maybe his brother's health issues? His brother's heart ailment. Yeah, he thought maybe he can invent something that would help his brother. So there is like a... There's a goodness and a sweetness, and it shows in his charity work as well, but I would be remiss as a brown man, not to mention that Pop Chips aberration. And so he did have this kind of biomedical interest early on uh, when he was thinking about biomed engineering. So I guess that's a good segue to the next section of the podcast. Right, so many of you will know who Bear Grylls is. If you don't know Bear Grylls personally, you might know his shows, Man vs. Wild. And, you know, he's out there. He's out there, him in the wild. I don't know if it was him where they caught a little, a tiny little sliver of a hotel in the background. People are like, what the, is that where he's staying? Because that's not that wild that he's just close to his hotel. But anyway, Bear Grylls, British dude, outdoorsman, adventurer, that kind of thing. He interviewed Ashton Kutcher. Now, his interviews involve, you know, going on some kind of a hike or outdoor adventure with the person. So he was on some, and they were hiking in the wilderness of uh, Costa Rica or in the jungles of Costa Rica, I should say. And uh, on an episode of Running Wild with Bear Grylls, for the first time, it would appear, Ashton Kutcher revealed that he had this vasculitis diagnosis. What I am aware of is that it's an autoimmune disease. Again, Bear Grylls said that, that this was his autoimmune disease. You'll tell me more about what that means, autoimmune disease, and what it does. It's, uh, you know, responsible for inflammation where there shouldn't be inflammation. But interesting that that's the first time, like it wasn't really, the media wasn't aware, nobody else had really talked about it. And I think it's during this episode that it was first revealed. So we wanted to talk about this because Ashton Kutcher added that, you know, He said, two years ago, I had this weird, super rare form of vasculitis that knocked out my vision, knocked out my hearing, knocked out all my equilibrium, and he wasn't sure if he was ever going to walk again. So that's pretty intense. And uh, for that reason, I think we should be looking into this. As you said, Asif, off the top, we're going to do this house style where you're I don't know. Are you going to tell us that maybe Ashton Kutcher did no, 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 for sure. I, it's more like, can we figure out based on the clues provided in basically that one sentence in this episode of his conversation with Bear, what exactly might he have? And I'll try and figure it out. Obviously, I only am basing this on what he has said. And that's really all he said. He hasn't commented on it since that episode. And that's it. So nobody really knows. Uh, but I'll try and make an educated guess. I mean, in their defense, in both their defense, it is Bear grills. You know what I mean? Like, pretty tough dude. If this was like some arts and entertainment show, they would have made a whole one-hour special on vasculitis. This is a guy who's probably suffered from 17 things as bad as vasculitis, being bit by God knows what, 18 different types of Lyme disease in the forest. And, you know... He's a tougher dude, so he definitely gave it its due, but he didn't milk it the way some interviewers would. Yeah, they were trying would. to survive in the jungle, so they, you know, they had other things to worry about. As they're talking about it, exactly. So first things first, what is vasculitis? Right, so vasculitis just means inflammation of blood vessels, okay? That's all it really means. So what happens is you get this inflammation 
usually through an autoimmune attack. So autoimmune, we've talked about this before on the podcast, your body starts to make a mistake instead of attacking invaders like bacteria or viruses, it attacks your own body. And in this case, it's attacking the blood vessels, usually what we mean is the lining of the blood vessels. And that in and of itself can restrict blood flow and cause damage to organs and tissues. So that's basically, and there's lots of things that can trigger vasculitis. Infections can trigger vasculitis. So in neurology, we'll see this. If you get something like meningitis, you can get a secondary vasculitis of the blood vessels of your brain. Medications can sometimes do it. Sometimes it can be a rare side effect from certain medications. You can have a genetic predisposition, or you could have another disease which is causing the vasculitis. And so there's many, many different types of vasculitis. Can it go top to bottom in your body? Could you have vasculitis like in a foot or in a leg as well as up top? Anywhere. Yeah, okay. so absolutely right. It's a good question. A lot of types of vasculitis will affect the skin because obviously we have lots of blood vessels in our skin. The largest organ on the body is there the skin. Go. So any part of your skin can be affected. Usually you get like a rash, but the rash is almost like bruising. It's what we call purpura or purpuric rash. So it's more like kind of a bruising, but some people just think it looks like a rash, but, and you can get that anywhere. A lot of times a vasculitic rash would be very painful. And so if you have a painful rash, that would be a consideration that you may have vasculitis, but it can affect anywhere, not just the brain. It can affect the lungs, the kidney, the gastrointestinal tract. And that's, I think, an important clue because there's many different diseases. There's like at least 20 plus types of vasculitis. But if he had one of those types of vasculitis, Ashton Kutcher probably would have said, oh, I have this vasculitis. So one of them was good pasture syndrome. We don't really call it that anymore, but that's named after this one um, physician. So I have this, and then I had some brain involvement as well, but that's not what he says. Another example is lupus. Lupus can cause vasculitis. Lupus can, as we say in, in medicine, can cause any symptom imaginable, and one of them is vasculitis. But he didn't say, I have lupus. That would have been much more clear to say to Bear Grylls, like, I have vasculitis due to lupus, or I just have lupus. But he specifically said, I have a very rare form of vasculitis. So because of that, my impression, again, this is just, I don't know, I'm just trying to use my medical skills here, my neurological skills, is that I think he had a type of vasculitis inflammation of the blood vessels specific to the nervous system that perhaps only causes problems in the nervous system because everything he talked about, he didn't say I had a rash, he didn't say I had kidney problems and I had lung problems. He said I had the problems with vision, hearing, and balance. So I think he probably had what's called a primary central nervous system vasculitis or we'll call it angiitis. It just means the same thing, inflammation of blood vessels. And I think that's probably what he had because that type of vasculitis only affects the brain and doesn't affect other organs. And in fact, you can do a bunch of blood tests looking for other markers of inflammation or lupus or other types of autoimmune markers and you won't find them. It's isolated only to the brain. It's very difficult to diagnose. Is vasculitis already difficult to diagnose and then the type he had much that's more so? That's a way of saying it. Exactly. Yep. And in fact, this primary central nervous system vasculitis is, as you said, very hard to diagnose. A lot of the initial signs are very nonspecific. So headache, an alteration in your mental status, but maybe your thinking is just a bit more clouded. You know, it's not like you're suddenly comatose, but, you know, maybe a bit more lethargic or just not being able to concentrate as well. 
And then sometimes you can get, because the blood vessels can be affected, it depends a bit about the size of the blood vessels being affected, but you can actually have strokes. So weakness, problems with talking, problems with your balance, vision symptoms because of strokes. And sometimes you can have seizures and that can be the first thing. And in children, we can often see what's called status epilepticus. So that's uncontrolled seizures lasting continuously for half an hour, an hour or longer. And that can be the first indication that you actually have this vasculitis. Sometimes we've seen kids who've had seizures, not just going on for like minutes or hours. We're talking days, weeks, sometimes months of ongoing seizure activity. So you're dealing with something that can affect children and then adults who are healthy, who are unhealthy, who have had some sort of other procedure, who have some other disease. It's all across the board. How common is it? Yeah, it's we don't actually know because it's rare enough that they haven't been able to do what we call epidemiologic studies on it. But it's not uncommon that a neurologist would never see a patient with it, but it's uncommon enough that say a family doctor would probably never see a patient with it. And the tough thing is it can look like other diseases, right? You might just think, oh, they just had a stroke, but maybe it's vasculitis. Sometimes it looks like MS or multiple sclerosis. And sometimes you have to differentiate things based on the MRI. And so a couple interesting things about it it's this primary central nervous system or brain vasculitis. It could be brain or spinal cord. It affects men more than women. So it's about seven men to every one woman who gets it, which is very different. As we talked about before, all the autoimmune disease is more common in women as opposed to men. And it's most common in the fourth to sixth decades of life at the time of diagnosis. Again, that is perfect because that's Ashton Kutcher's age when he was diagnosed because he said it was two years ago. So he would have been around 42. But there have been children as young as seven months of age who have been diagnosed with it. And most of them actually are healthy. Like they don't have any – for this primary central nervous system vasculitis, if it was secondary, it would be like you have lupus and then developed a vasculitis in your brain. But we're talking primary. So you don't have – you could be perfectly healthy and just come down with headache, weakness, seizures, et cetera. And that's what's going on. So we don't know what causes it at all. No, not it's a good question. Not really, but there are some kind of milder forms of this vasculitis which we often see in kids more often. And one of them is related to your good friend who you we always talk about, which is varicella. Okay? So varicella is the virus that causes chickenpox. Varicella, the herpes zoster, that old pal There of mine. we go. And then sometimes it hides away in your nerve endings and then can reappear as zoster, which again, we've talked about before. But there's another possibility. If you have varicella zoster infection like chickenpox, and some people say it may even be when you get the vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine as well, weeks to months later, sometimes days later, you can develop a narrowing of your arteries in your brain. And that's a type of vasculitis. We call this a post-varicella vasculitis or a post-varicella vasculopathy, an abnormality in the blood vessels. We assume there is an inflammatory component to that. So you can treat that with something like a corticosteroids and anti-inflammatories and you can bring them down. And so we know there's an association. Usually patients with this post-varicella 
vasculitis or vasculopathy, they do okay. And a lot of times the blood vessel will go back to normal, not always. So that's kind of a very mild form of this. But when you're asking me about connections to other diseases or causes, that's the only one that we've kind of identified. When it comes to patients with more severe types of brain vasculitis, we often don't find a cause. You know, we've established that it's not easy to diagnose, but what do you have to do in an attempt to diagnose it? Yeah, so we do lots of blood work to see if you have any markers of inflammation or autoimmune disease in your blood. But as I said, you often do not. That's often normal. So we kind of do that just to make sure you don't have that. The MRI is really important. We can see various areas of the brain that may be involved. And sometimes we'd even do a spinal tap or a lumbar puncture and collect the fluid. And sometimes the protein is high that we measure. And sometimes the pressure is high when we do that. But the MRI can be very nonspecific. And there's actually, you know, when we talk about the blood vessels that can be involved, you can have large or medium blood vessels involved or small blood vessels. The large to medium ones, if you do an MRI, you will probably see the narrowing, like I said, with the varicella. If you have, have had chickenpox, you might see the narrowing. And then you might see an actual area of stroke. So it can look like a stroke in any other person. And again, kids' stroke is less common. So you know we kind of think about this vasculitis relatively quickly, whereas in adults, they may not think about it as much. But if you have the small vessel, this is just the little tiny blood vessels that we have, like what we call our capillaries that exist all over our our body, including our brain, when you do the MRI scan, you might not see an abnormality in these blood vessels because they're way too small to pick up on an MRI scan. So we might just see kind of different areas of swelling, inflammation in various areas of the brain. And sometimes that can be hard to differentiate from like what I was saying before, like multiple sclerosis. So we can have a suspicion by doing these tests and maybe if the blood vessels are involved because it's a medium or large size artery that's involved, we can have a clue, but sometimes we don't. And then we have to sometimes progress to the most invasive test that we can do in neurology, which is a brain biopsy. So a child or adult is put to sleep, cut a hole in their skull, you know, take out a piece and examine a piece of brain under the microscope. Obviously, you try and pick a place that's involved in the MRI, but it's also in an area of the brain that hopefully you can take out and sample, and they're not going to be left with lots of problems afterwards. And you look at it under the microscope, and you look directly for inflammation in the lining of the blood vessels. And if you see that, then you say, okay, that's CNS vasculitis. So sometimes we have to go to that extreme to make the diagnosis. And then once it is diagnosed, if it's diagnosed, what do you do then? How do you treat this? Usually use immunosuppressive medicine like corticosteroids, but usually have to go a bit more heavy duty. So you use ones that are actually used in chemotherapy. So one of them is cyclophosphamide, which is a pretty heavy duty medication. Another one might be uh, rituximab. So it's usually heavy duty immunosuppression that has to go on for a relatively long period of time. So definitely a serious diagnosis and one that you need to treat. But it's important because uh, a lot of people used to say, especially in adults, that it was a fatal diagnosis in a lot of people. But now, because we treat them rapidly and there's more awareness of it, people can do better. But even still, some adult studies say, one study where they looked at about 29 patients, 14 of them who had a biopsy proven brain vasculitis died or had severe morbidity at follow-up at, at one year. So it can still cause death. It can still cause a lot of severe disability. But again, we try and treat it early and aggressively to try and avoid those outcomes. 
This is one of those episodes, Asif, people are going to listen and just the crap's going to be scared out of them at all times because it sounds so innocent. Oh, it's just, it's inflammation of the blood vessels. Vasculitis doesn't even sound that scary. And yet that's an insanely high mortality rate. As far as Ashton Kutcher goes, is there anything else that it could have been what he had? I mean, listen. This guy's got enough money that he got the best doctors on the case. Let's be real here. But when we're talking about, let's say, someone, never mind Ashton for a second, someone having the same equilibrium vision and hearing issues as he did, is there anything else that it could have been? Well, yeah. So then you think about, first of all, let's give a shout out to his doctors who I'm sure did a good job. And also, obviously, confidentiality, very important because this doesn't get leaked out by accident or anything like that, like that, right? Yeah. So that's the other thing I thought about. So I think it's probably the CNS vasculitis, but are there kind of rare forms of this or similar things that are even more rare than what I talked about before? And it's possible. But again, you have to go back to what his symptoms were, as you said, hearing, vision, and balance. So there is something even rarer, a couple of things. One is Susak syndrome. Okay, S-U-S-A-C, super rare disorder where you get, basically they think it is a small vessel vasculitis and you can get headaches, you can get fatigue and psychiatric symptoms and some of those other vague symptomatology. So for Susex syndrome, you need to have this encephalopathy, so change in your level of consciousness or fatigue and things like that. And you need vision loss and hearing loss. So as soon as you heard, or you being me, that, oh, he had vision loss and hearing loss, and he's saying vasculitis, you got to think about the Susex syndrome because these patients can get sudden overnight hearing loss. And sometimes that's the first presentation. The problem with Susex syndrome is you can get all these different kinds of symptoms, but sometimes over months or weeks or years. So it takes a while to kind of put it all together and decide that that's what's going on. So then I wondered, okay, maybe that was going on. And you actually get many strokes and occlusions in the retinal artery that goes to your eye. And that's what causes it. And you can do hearing tests and vision tests to kind of diagnose it. And the MRI in this needs to be differentiated, of course, from the CNS vasculitis we talked about and from MS. But you get what's called, again, you guys don't have to know this because you guys aren't neurologists, but they get what's called a round snowball lesion in the corpus callosum. Corpus callosum is what connects the left and right side of our brain. And so you get those. And those, you can also see corpus callosum lesions in MS, but these ones look a bit different. So that's Susex syndrome, which is a possibility, which is an even rarer form of vasculitis. And if you can believe it, there's one more, even more rarer possibility for this guy. So the other thing you think about is where is your, like your hearing and your balance all located in your brain? We know in neurology it's located in your brainstem, the very deepest part of your brainstem, which we talked about in our brain death episode that connects to your spinal cord. So in addition to those things, your eye movements and your breathing is also coordinated through there. And so there is a rare diagnosis where you get inflammation of the brainstem called CLIPPERS. And CLIPPERS is an acronym. Do you want to guess what it stands for? You know what? That's going to take a little while. Yeah, let's not do that. It stands for Chronic Lymphocytic Inflammation with Pontine Perivascular Enhancement Responsive to Steroids. Okay. I understood three of those words, so we weren't going to get that. <laughs> Clearly, they just wanted to use the 
<laughs> word clippers and they came up with the rest of it to make sense but basically it just means they're having information. fun they're having yeah. fun in the clippers department there in yeah the, in the and so i don't know it's such a crazy acronym that i had to uh message one of my residents i'm like oh i'm working on the podcast about ashton kutcher and i think he may have this disease what's this disease again where they get a brainstem problem and abnormal mri and it's an acronym i couldn't even remember the acronym that's how bad this acronym is anyway super rare as you said yeah so they get problems with balance they get problems with double vision they get some problems with sensation of their face, they get vertigo and imbalance, and they can have hearing impairment. So I'm like, oh, that could be it too. Not clear if it's actually a vasculitis or not, or just inflammation, but you get a very particular pattern on your MRI where you get these little tiny circles of enhancement when they give you the dye with the MRI in the pons, which is part of the brainstem. And that's how you diagnose it. So the imaging appearance is very specific. So it's possible. Okay. So very easy to diagnose. Yeah. If you think about doing an MRI for this patient and then you have to see it and know, okay, this means it. The only problem is he said he had vision loss, right? He didn't say that he had double vision. So if he said I had double vision or my eye movements weren't coordinated, that's a brainstem issue. But actual vision is not really in the brainstem. It's higher up in the occipital lobes, the back part of your brain, where we have all the convolutions of the back part of the brain, not the brainstem. So that's the only thing that maybe he doesn't have clippers, but that's what I think. So again, I'm just trying to put it all together based on Ashton Kutcher's two lines of clues that he gave Bear Grylls in the TV show. So I think it's probably primary central nervous system vasculitis, but possibly suicide syndrome, possibly clippers. We'll put some uh, references. You guys can take a look at these super rare neurologic disorders and see if that's what you think is going on. But that is my Hugh Laurie house impression. Hopefully, I wasn't as crusty and mean to you as Hugh Laurie was on that show. You could be if you wanted to. I believe in you. I have faith oh, thanks, in you. Man. And I, I know you're okay. capable. Yeah, man. Well, that is our episode, a little Ashton, a little uh, vasculitis. I mean, it's interesting, you know, if it takes Ashton Kutcher to end some sort of random comment on a hike to bring this into the forefront of our conversation, then so be it. Nothing wrong with any of that. And let us know what you thought of this episode, drvcomedian at gmail.com. Reach out to us on social media, drvcomedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are everywhere. Ali, you got... You got the book. You got the book coming out soon. September 27th, Is There Bacon in Heaven is the name of the book with Simon & Schuster. You can order it wherever you get your fine books, even unfine books. You can get it wherever you get books. <laughs> you got the other podcast. That podcast is called This Podcast Tastes Delicious with my friend Marco Timpano. We're going to be celebrating the hot dog on our next episode. Okay, very exciting. And you said you have Just for Laughs coming up soon. Just for Laughs coming up. Just for Laughs Toronto. Run the Burb starts filming again. Oh, boy. And then I think we, we've talked about before, we have some other exciting interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. I think you guys are really going to enjoy them. We do. But remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor, and I'm definitely not Ashton Kutcher's daughter. 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 Well, I'm not, but I'm also not his doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. Bye.